invite you to stand with me as we read from Matthew 28 together. The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is God's word. You can grab a seat. We've been in a really long series in the Gospel of Matthew. We started before Christmas, and and we're ending this week. So next week, uh, my friend Aaron White from 24-7 Prayer will be coming to to preach for us. And uh, we'll also be having a new-to-reality lunch. So if you're somebody who's new or uh, you have questions, you want to just get to know a few more people, we invite you to join us for lunch uh, after that. And uh, after the service, we'll just be in here, probably have some pizza. You can let me know if you'd like to come. And then in two weeks, Mitch will be preaching. Um, so you can feel free to avoid that week if you want to. If you're looking to take a week off, that's a really good one. Stay at home. And uh, then the week after, we're going to start another series on... Uh, that's 100% a joke. I realize there's new people here, and uh, my face doesn't change when I make a joke. So that's a joke. He's our other pastor. He'll be preaching. It'll be great. And then uh, in three weeks, we're going to start another series, which is this is on Galatians, and uh, centered on Jesus. And I'm really excited about this one. I've been... That's also... My face doesn't change. Just remember that for the rest of the time. This is my excited face, the face I had on my wedding day when my children were born, also when the worst day of my life happened. It all looks the same. Um, but uh, we're going to be starting this series in Galatians, centered on Jesus, and I've really uh, been pray- preparing for this for the last couple weeks, and uh, we'll, we'll get into that for a couple months uh, into the summer. But I'm really excited, and if you want to, you can start reading ahead and just reading through Galatians uh, a couple times to get the idea of what's happening there. So like I said, we're, we're ending the series on Matthew. And if you're Jesus, uh, you've just done the most impossible thing in the world. So we've been following Jesus, his birth, even before his birth, all the way through his life. Now he's died. Last week we celebrated Easter Sunday that Jesus is rose, has risen from the dead. So he's done the most impossible thing in the world. And Matthew's been trying to tell us that he's fulfilled the scriptures. The whole, he's bringing the whole story of the Bible to its culmination. And, and now he's invited these women that, met, that saw him at the empty tomb to go get everybody, round everyone up and bring them to this mountain. And he's, gonna, he's, he's giving them this passage that we just read today. He's going to send them and ask them to give the good news uh, to the whole world. So what's the response that you might expect if you're Jesus at the mountain? So the disciples are like, what would, what would you expect to be happening there? If it's me and I'm Jesus, I would expect these disciples to show up. And they're just like, you know, like a, a big round of applause when Jesus comes. Maybe this like stadium clap. You know when the band gets on the stage after the warm-up band? You know, maybe Jesus had an opener. I don't really know. Or maybe just like this weeping and worshiping. Like, oh, you can't believe that it's you. Or this eureka moment for the disciples where they would, might say like, I can't, you know, I, I get it now. I finally get what you've been talking about this whole time. So what's the response that Jesus gets as the disciples show up? What does Matthew write? Verse 17. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. This is the response that Jesus, the risen Jesus, gets. And if I'm Jesus, I'd be like, come on, guys. Like, what do I have to do here? Like, I've risen from the dead. You saw me die. Like, there's not really anything else I can do at this point in time if you're not going to get it. And if I'm Matthew, who the gospel is attributed to, if I'm writing this story, I am definitely leaving this detail out. Because he's talking about himself here. 
And he's speaking to people who have not had that experience of standing with Jesus on the mountain. And he's writing to them and he's saying, like, I know that you think if you were there, you would believe. Like, you would love to be there at that moment and touch Jesus and see him and listen to his exact words. You weren't there. I was there. And I kind of doubted. I was kind of, like, unsure. And Matthew includes this detail in his story. And I love how honest it is. Because in this passage, and the passage that we read last week, we, we see descriptions of faithful disciples having two emotions that are talked about all over Scripture, but we rarely ever talk about them in the church. Last week, if you remember, the women meet Jesus at the tomb, or they, they meet the angel, and they see the empty tomb, and they have this mixture, it says, of fear. They experience fear, but they also have joy. And then we see today that the disciples, when they meet the risen Jesus, what do they experience? They worship, but they also doubt. And these two emotions, fear and doubt, are something that we don't talk about very often. But as it comes to this passage and what we're going to talk about today and and Jesus sending people, in my experience, in my own life and talking to other people, these are the two emotions that actually stop us from engaging in that witnessing work the most. Fear and doubt. And, And there's different kinds of fears that we have. Some of them might be, you know, I'm afraid of my family. If I took my faith really seriously or if I started talking to people about my faith, I'd be afraid of, of how my family might take that. I might also be afraid of what it might cost me professionally. If I'm a Christian, if that's part of who I am, part of how I present in the world, then that might cost me something at my place of work. It might cost me a promotion. It might uh, cost me some friendships, what other people will think of me. Or, this is the, the number one fear that I have, it will, um, it, I fear what people will assume of me. If I say that I'm a Christian, you know, uh, I've, I've said this before that when I say that I'm a Christian and it's, it's worse for me because I'm a professional Christian. So when people find out, they're like, oh, you're like a prof- you're like super Saiyan. You're like all in. And uh, but I always feel like I'm picking up bags, baggage that I don't actually want in my hands when I say that I'm a, I follow Jesus. Like people are like, oh, you hate the environment. Or like, I heard that you were also a truck driver and you're a Christian, so I thought I saw you driving in the Freedom Convoy. And I'm like, no, that wasn't me. That's not necessarily what, that's not me. It's not what I believe. And it's not associated, but people associate those things together. And some of you might know that I'm not on social media. If you try to find me, you will not probably find me there. Don't worry, this is not going to be an anti-social media rant, but um, there's a time for that. You can catch me after this service. But one of the biggest reasons why is, is that I'm not on there is I never felt like I could be wholehearted. As, I wanted to, as my faith became a bigger part of my life, I couldn't figure out how to make that space be part of that. And, and you might be thinking, like, well, you're naive. Like, you thought you could bring your whole self to social media. What a dummy. Um, but I grew up with, like, social media in university and high school. But as that became a bigger part of my life, I could never figure out how to make that part of that space. And I felt like I was always being fraudulent and not my full self in that space. And um, people, if I took, you know, my doubts seriously and I wrote about them or I said something about them, people would just send me, like, all these apologetics links or if I was being honest about something exciting that was going on in my faith, then I would get associated with all these different tribes of people that I did not want to be associated with at all. And it was just a very hard space to understand how to be my full self there. I was getting associated with lots of things that I didn't want to be. And I, I think a lot of uh, us are like that, maybe not on social media, but in general. You know, many people in our community are really empathetic people. And if you say that you're a Christian, if you say that you follow Jesus, if you take his, this passage really seriously, then you know that that might put you against other people. You'll be picking up bags that you don't want to have. 
Maybe you have LGBTQ friends, family members, coworkers, and all of a sudden they're going to look at you differently and that relationship is going to change. Or we'll be linked up with residential schools and the terrible things that happened in our history of our country. There's baggage that we pick up. And I think many of us feel this way. I'm okay with Jesus, like I like Jesus, I'm here, but I have a really hard time being associated with all these other things. And there's fear there. And so it stops us. So fear is one, and then doubt is another one. And, and, I, and we all have doubts. You know, we live in this, in this world where what's quantifiable and what's scientific is what's king, what can be trusted. And, uh, of course, we believe in two big events in the Christian calendar, that God became human. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. And then last week we celebrated that a man who was God died and rose again. Like, these kind of go against the view, reigning prevalent view in our world. And they're the center pieces of what we believe. And so it's, I was chatting with somebody last week, and they said, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy to believe in the resurrected Jesus in our, in our world. Really hard. And I, some of us think, if I took this passage that we just talked about seriously, and I tried to talk to people about my faith, I got friends and family members who are way smarter than me. They've read a lot more. And uh, they're just going to say, like, Christianity is not true. And that's going to bring a lot of doubt into my mind and into my world. And so these are real things that I think we all experience. Doubt and fear. And I could talk about this all day long. I worked as a campus pastor for uh, like 12 or 15 years and uh, ho- trying to help students to work through doubts and fears. So I have a lot to say on this, but I'm going to try to just narrow it down to three things. And we're going to spend our, our first bit of our, our sermon talking about this, because like I said, I think these are the things that stop us. If we don't address this, we could get into the commission of Jesus. But these are the things that, I, in my experience and my personal life, they actually just stop me from engaging in it. So three things to say about fear and doubt. The first is this. If fear and doubt are mentioned in the scripture, and they're mentioned in this passage, they're mentioned all over the place, then I think we should talk about them and be honest about them rather than try to ignore them or deny them. It turns out that that faith or doubt and fear have been around for a long time. They're all over the story of the Bible. And the Gospel of Matthew in this passage is trying to give us license and language and a story for us to put those emotions into. You know, like we talked about in the Lament Night, God is the God of the full human experience, and he invites us into that, and he invites us to bring our full selves to him. Even if we can't do it on social media, we can do it with God. And so fear and doubt are part of our, our, our faith journey. And I hope that we can be the kind of church that learns to talk about that too, to be honest about the faith and the doubt, or the doubt and the fears that we experience. The second thing is this, and, and this is going to take a little bit longer to explain, but in, it, it makes sense that we would have fear and doubt in our cultural moment, in the moment that we live in, in the city and time that we live in. Now, many of you guys know that I'm a big fan of the Canadian philosopher Charles Taylor. And he wrote a book called The Secular Age. And it's really one question. It's a 900-page book, but he's trying to answer one question. He says, how did, it, how did it happen that 500 years ago in the Western world, it was almost impossible not to believe in God? Everyone believed in God. To five, 500 years later today, where it's really hard to believe in God. What happened? And he writes 900 pages on what happened. But one of the storylines is this. You can think of it this way. 500 years ago, it's like there was one big story in the, in the Western world. You could think of it like a sun. There was one sun in the sky, and everyone was looking at it. And that was a, some sort of the Christian story. So that sun brought light to everything. Everyone was magnetized by it. Everybody saw it. You couldn't, you couldn't not see it. It was the sun. And so everybody believed in the Christian story. But he said what's happened over time is it's like that sun has blown up. He calls this the Nova effect. 
And so the sun blew up into a million different pieces. So our sky is still lit. But now there's a big question hanging over all of us. What pieces of the sun will we choose to light our world? And so maybe we choose the Christian story, but that's a choice today. Whereas it wasn't before. There was only one sun in the sky. Now there's many different options. So maybe you choose the Christian story, but maybe your, your neighbor likes to go uh, on um, yoga retreats. And for them, that's the most important thing. Or you've got a, a neighbor who's Muslim. Or you've got another neighbor who's really into microdosing. Or you've got another neighbor who's Buddhist but can't spell Buddhism. You've got all these different options ahead of you. Millions and millions of options. And then there's different people, and this is maybe the most Vancouver way of all, is you grab pieces of all of them. You say all of those are kind of what I believe together. And so that's the the difference that's happened. Now we have to choose. And here's the really key, key thing for us today. When there's all these different options in the sky and we choose, the moment that we choose something, or the moment that we choose many different somethings, we feel, he calls it, cross pressured which means we feel the pressure of all the other people who are around us who make different ways of living in the world. I choose to follow Jesus, but a really good friend of mine who I love and respect chooses to follow, uh, to be Muslim, to, to, to follow Islam. And I feel the pressure of that. The moment that I say I'm choosing this, I feel the pressure of what everybody else is choosing. And that's just what it means for Taylor to live in the modern world, that we're cross-pressured people. So as soon, as soon as we choose to follow Jesus, we feel fear and doubt because other people are choosing something different around us. Now, that may sound like bad news, so there's two good pieces of good news uh, to living in a cross-pressured world. The first is this. If we are cross-pressured as followers of Jesus, if we experience faith and doubt, it means that everybody else is also cross-pressured. He says everyone in our world is cross-pressured today. So to put it another way, the sense of doubt and fear that we experience about not having it all together spiritually also plagues everybody else in our world. Everybody is cross-pressured. It's not just Christians. Everyone is. And I think right now in our world there's a growing sense of cross-pressuredness. The people are feeling this, uh, that, that they may be holding on to the wrong piece of the sun. This is a growing sense. And there's lots of reasons for this. Maybe it's the pandemic. Maybe it's the myth of progress that people are kind of waking up to, that they're like, man, I really thought our world would be in a better place than it is right now. And it's not in a great place. Uh, And we could talk about that after. But I'm just going to give you, instead of talking about why this happened, which is usually where I go with my mind, I want to just give you one example of how this is happening. So this is a woman. A woman. Her name is Sally Rooney. Uh, she is not at all a Christian author. She wrote this book several years ago called Normal People, which was a, which was a huge hit. It was made into a TV series. Um, and um, her world, I would say, was before, in the, in the book of Normal People, there was no sense of God. There was no reflection or idea that there could be even a God in the world. It was just people experiencing life. But this last year, she wrote another book. It's called Hello, Beautiful World, Where Are You?, and there's four main characters in the book, and one of the characters' names is Simon. There's two couples. And the Simon, this character, is a Catholic. And he's a deeply flawed character, so he is not a perfect character in any way, shape, or form. And people have a very strange reaction to him. On one hand, Simon is super weird. So there's one conversation that people have, and this guy's like, does he believe in God, God? And, and then his friend's like, yeah, like he really believes in God. He like goes to Mass and stuff like that. And then the other character says, is he right in the head? 
Like that's his response to him, and it's Irish, so you can. I'm not going to try to do an Irish accent, but it, it sounds probably a lot cooler in there uh, that that accent on it. But that's the response they have. Like this guy is super weird. Like is he okay that he would actually believe in God? God. So that's one side of the equation. But the other side of the equation is that there's a strange magnetism towards this character as the story unfolds. Listen to what one character says about him. So she's talking about herself here. She says, I need to feel that my life has some kind of center, somewhere for my thoughts to return and rest, a bigger story that I need to be a part of. Simon does, but he has God. And when it comes to putting something at the center of life, God strikes me as a pretty good option. Better at least than making up stories about people who don't exist or falling in love with people who hate me. That's the story of this woman. She's a writer. And she's having this kind of existential moment about the stories that she's writing, and they don't really matter. They're kind of uh, vapor. And she falls in love with people who hurt her again and again and again. She says, God strikes me as a pretty good option. And then the last sentence, but here we are. She's open. She's feeling the cross pressure of a person like Simon in her life. Now, is she like, yeah, I'm ready to become a Catholic, like catechize me, baptize me? No, not in that sense. But she's open because she's feeling the cross pressure. And that's the point of what I'm trying to say. Sometimes as Christians, we can feel like we're the only ones feeling fear and doubt. But people are. And I appreciate Sally Rooney's honesty as she writes about it through this character. The second thing, or the good news about being cross pressured, is I think it actually, if we take our faith and doubt seriously and we understand that that's the moment that we live in and it's normal, it puts us in the right space to be a witness to Jesus, to what he's going to call us to in the rest of this chapter. You know, some of us think... I'll, I'll be a witness to Jesus when I get it all together and I know the answer. So like maybe when I retire, I'll get a master's in apologetics and then I'll like, you know, be in the basement getting ready to answer everybody's questions and I'll emerge from the basement like Kevin in Home Alone where he's like, yeah, I'm not afraid anymore. You hear that world? I'm not afraid anymore. And then I'll answer everyone's questions and all my friends will come to faith or whatever. Now I'm all for um, like learning how to talk about Jesus in a way that makes sense to people. And I think that's really good. But I think this is the wrong mindset for us to have. Because it's, it's the mindset that says, I can only witness when I'm in a place of power. When I know it all. When I've got it all figured out. And we've seen in our world what that creates in a, in a more uh, meta sense. Like our, our world is like that. That's a colonizing stance. That we come in and we say, I know everything. And I'm going to now teach you everything that I know. And so being honest about our fears and our doubts stops us from this crusader mentality. And it forces us into a humble place if we're going to take it seriously. And I think that that's the right place for us to be, where we can witness to this humble Savior that we've seen in the Gospel of Matthew. So those are two pieces of good news about being cross-pressured. So it's, it, it's normal that we would feel fears and doubts, but everybody else does too. If we can get open people open enough to reflect and talk. And then also it puts us in the right place if we're honest and open about our fears and doubts to witness to this kind of Jesus that we've seen in the Gospel of Mark or Matthew. And then finally, and this is really the point of where we're going this morning, I want you to see who Jesus sends in this passage. So in, in general, if we follow the storyline of the disciples through the Gospel of Matthew, they've been pretty bad at getting it. Like throughout, they're not painted like Matthew here is, is being really honest and he's honest throughout the story of like how the disciples just don't get it. And at the time of Jesus death and they all run away from him. They have fears and doubts, as Matthew says, but look what Jesus does. He sends them anyways. These are the people he sends. He looks at the disciples, the people you and I wouldn't probably choose. 
and he's like, your, your plan A, B, C, and D. My plan is to use you to share this greatest news in the world. And Matthew, once again, is picking up on this bigger theme of the story of God here, specifically the theme of faithfulness of God, that we as people fail him again and again and again. If we zoom out into the whole story of Scripture, people fail God. We're scared and afraid. And, and, and that's us in this room too. Like, yeah, Jesus, I know we just celebrated that you died and you rose again, but people on Twitter are so mean. I just can't do it. Yet God chooses to continue to work with us. That's who he sends. He sends scared, fearful human beings. And as a church, I think, like in general, I think we're often afraid to talk about people who are in process with their faith, who are honest about their fears and their doubts. And for me, part of the reason for that is because of bounded set thinking. Um, and we'll get more into that. If you've heard me talk about it, you might understand what I'm, t- I'm talking about, but we'll get more into that in our series in Galatians. But this passage shows that Jesus is completely okay with people who are in process. The disciples are a mixture of fear and worship, fear and joy, worship and doubt. And God is okay with those kinds of people. He sends those kinds of people, people like the disciples in the story, people just like you and me. So faith and doubt is a normal part of the process uh, of being a disciple of Jesus. And so now let's, with that out of the way, let's take a look at what Jesus says in this passage to those of us who have fear and doubt. People like the disciples in this passage. And there's three things we need to focus on. The first is this, what we need to know. The second is what we're invited to do. And then thirdly, what we must remember if we're going to take the commission of Jesus seriously. What we need to know, what we're invited to do, and then what we must remember. So first, what we need to know. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So Jesus is is very baldly stating here what the Gospel of Matthew has been talking about since the very beginning of his story. In that culture, the person with all authority is the king. And so that's what Jesus is saying. In his very Jewish way, he's saying, I am the king of the whole world, of heaven and earth. We want him to just say that in our Western context. We're like, why don't you just say that? It would be so much easier if you you were just more clear. But Jesus, in his non-direct way, in that context, is saying that to us. Saying, I'm the king of everything. I have authority over all of heaven and earth. And that means if Jesus has authority over heaven and earth, then the dark powers have lost. Jesus seems very concerned with this story, that not only is it our individual sins, the things that we've done wrong, that are the problem in the world, but that actually we're enslaved, he says, to this dark power that we're tethered to and we can't get out of. And Jesus in this moment, by saying all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, he's saying that those dark powers have lost. I now am the one with all authority. And it's a really important thing for us to hear here because I think many of us also think when it comes to talking about our faith and witnessing for Jesus that I don't want to witness because I don't really have very much to say. Like if God did something really crazy in my life, then, then I would have a really great story and I'd be able to witness. And that's fair. And, and as people in general, we like those crazy stories, those testimony stories. And those are great. If that's you, that's awesome. I have a friend whose foot, he had like uh, a huge cut uh, in his foot and was bleeding a lot. And somebody prayed over him and it mag- like miraculously healed. I was not there, but that's the story that he's told me. And so that's great. If you have a story like that, that's awesome. But we have to be really careful because of what we've seen Matthew doing and how he's presenting Jesus in his gospel. If you remember back to last week, we talked about these two paths of life with Jesus. And the first path, you'll see it here up on the screen, 
is that we, in normal, uh, in our lives, and, and back then, at the time that Jesus was, was around and ministering, we want our lives going up and to the right. We want to be moving up social capital in the world towards whatever our view is of the good life. So our, our idea is generally like we start a little bit lower, but the goal is to get a little bit higher. And like I've said before, in Vancouver, we're not like I need to be like the 1%. We generally don't like those people. But like it's just to get to somewhere in the upper middle. That's like our humble Canadian Vancouver goal. Um, but that's the, the, the natural inclination is, is our, our, the way that our lives go, the, the momentum that we expect. And so what we do is we put Jesus into that narrative. And uh, I was reading someone this week, and they said, Jesus then becomes a handrail. That's how we see him, a handrail to get us up to the next step of whatever it is, because that's just the way that life works. So Jesus is here to help me out. But Easter, as we saw last week, is an invitation to a completely different path with Jesus. Rather than going up and to the right, Jesus goes down. He moves the way into into death itself. He becomes a servant, and he dies. But then he is raised. And now we see him standing glorified that I'm the king over all the world. And there's a different story and a different way that our lives can take shape. That's what Easter is all about, about showing us a different way of being in the world or a different kingdom, as Jesus says. And so his invitation for us to be his witnesses is one of these moments where we, we get to ask the question. It's like a litmus test to us. Which way are you trying to use Jesus in your life? All of us would be like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm on the left side of this. That's what I'm doing. But how we think about talking about Jesus and being his witnesses actually shows which side we're on. Do we believe that Jesus is here to help us out a little bit on the right-hand side? Or do we believe that through his death, life, and resurrection, he now has complete authority and leads to another world? Because which picture you have, like I said, it, it really affects your desire to witness to Jesus. Because, and I think many of us are on the right-hand side of this graph. Jesus has only offered us marginal help on this side of the graph. And so we don't have a lot to talk about. Maybe I'm like, yeah, you know, my marriage probably like a little bit better than it would have been if I was not a Christian. But my life would probably be a lot more fun if I wasn't a Christian. So when I go and think about talking to my friends, I'm like, I don't really have a lot to say. Like if your marriage is struggling, like do you want to stay with your wife? Then maybe you should consider being a better human being. I think Jesus will help you being that. And so we don't have a lot to share about because we're not sure how to help Jesus as the handrail in other people's lives. They seem to have handrails that are working out just well, just fine for them. Maybe they're doing a lot better than us on that side. And so uh, we think if we had a better story, if we had a better testimony of how like Jesus helped me with my cranky husband, like he was so cranky and then I prayed for him and my friends all prayed for him. They prayed his crankiness away and praise God, now he's not cranky anymore. Like that story, or like I, I needed this job and I prayed for it and God gave it to me miraculously. My boss woke up and he's like, I don't know what happened, but the Holy Spirit showed up in my room last night and now you are a manager or whatever. Or I got that money that I needed. Whatever it is, like on that side, we think if we had that story, then I would, of course, I'm going to tell people about it. He'd be worth witnessing to because that's something Jesus can, we can get behind. And, and there are those stories in our world, praise God. But, and Jesus can still do those things. I want to be really clear. If we walk through the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is doing those things. He's meeting people. He's healing them. He's talking to them. Amazing miracles happen. But that narrative is the wrong narrative for Matthew. We shouldn't promise healing to anyone. What Jesus is promising is a different path. Maybe he will heal us in this world. Maybe he will 
have an uncranky husband. I don't know. I don't want to promise that either. Okay. I'm still working through that one myself. My wife would probably like you to join her in prayer on that one. But like the point is to say what Jesus does promise us is a new life. That we will eventually have new bodies. That there's a whole nother kingdom to be a part of. See, Jesus isn't our pet. We can't control his timing or his activity in the world. And that's why Jesus goes to the cross. And then that's why people leave him. It's because when he goes down, they have no way of making sense. He comes completely useless to, to, to his disciples in that moment in time. And so we have to, if we want to have an opportunity to, to want to desire to witness to the risen Jesus, we have to gain a vision for the risen Jesus. We have to gain a vision for this whole left-hand side of the story. Because that's the Jesus who has all authority. The one who stands on the other side of death and with nail-pierced hands reaches back to us and says, come, come with me. Come with me through the grave to be resurrected and stand with me as the glorified king in a different story, in a different kingdom. So a question for you to reflect on, which way does your arrow go? And you probably have an answer to that, but the way that you feel about talking about Jesus is, is a litmus test, like I said, to which side you actually stand on. And unless we see him as the risen king, we'll always be waiting for those crazy stories, for God to do something crazy in our lives. And maybe he will. And not witnessing to the crazy story that has already happened, that Christ is risen. And that he promises to come again. Uh, The author that I was reading, he says, you can look at Jesus as a handrail, or you can look at following Jesus like a bungee jump. Like you're plunging off and you're just hoping that something's holding you. Those are the two options. What about you? Is Jesus a handrail, or is he the bungee cord? So the second thing, what, what are we supposed to do? So that's what we need to know. The second thing, what are we supposed to do as we follow Jesus and take him into the world? It says first this, go into all the world. Now, Matthew is hinting at something really important here. Jesus was a, a Jewish man, and he came in to fill the, fulfill the story of the Hebrew scriptures. We've looked at this theme again and again through Matthew. But he is saying throughout, from the very beginning and now at the last part of Matthew, that he is also the God of the entire world. And this has always been his plan and always been the story from the Bible. God says, you are blessed to my people. He chooses the Jewish people, but you are blessed to be a blessing to the world. And so God is carrying forward that story that he wants us to go into the entire world and tell people. And that was completely radical at the time because the Jewish people would be like, I don't want to go to those like those unclean people. I'm not going to go over there and talk to them. But I think we have the opposite problem today. When we often hear the word go, we think, okay, that means I now have to go like, I don't know, to some tribe in South America or something like that. There's the classic missionary story that people would say like, God, I'll serve you anywhere but Africa. And here I am in Africa 20 years later. And that's kind of like the mentality that we have about going. But one of the commentators I read this week, he said, this should be better translated as you are going. As you are going. As you are going through your life, God will put people into your path. God sends all of us and he needs people everywhere. And he needs people here just as much as he needs them in South America or in Africa or anywhere else. And so this is not so much about going somewhere else. This is about our family, our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, the people that we know. So as you are going, he says, make disciples of all nations. That's what we're called to do. And I really want to say that the, the key thing here is that this is discipleship, not um, conversion that God is worried about here. He's not asking people to make a decision 
um, or to uh, get people to agree to something. And we all probably know this in our minds, but it still lurks in the back of our heads from this kind of decisionalism that's been especially characterized American Christianity in the last 40 years. But this, was, this has a, a been parodied. It's, it's so pervasive that it's been parodied in uh, the Christian satire uh, online blog called Babylon B, if you're familiar with it. If you're not... You're welcome. This afternoon will be a lot of fun for you if you go look at it. But they, so Babylon B inter, interviewed Elon Musk. That's him there, second to the right, which is kind of crazy. I was just at TED two weeks ago, uh, and uh, the TED conference, and Elon Musk, uh, he videoed in. He didn't show up in person, but he went in person and got interviewed by the Babylon B, which is just wild to me. But they interviewed him, and they asked him nine questions. The ninth question was this one. Would you do us a quick solid and accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? <laughs> they asked him this, and they're like, because it would be really good for us if you did. It would really help our ratings. So they, they're a satire organization again. So then um, Elon Musk, you can, again, watch this on your own time this afternoon. You're welcome. Um, but he goes on this like kind of rambly trail talking about Jesus. And the best part is they play the slow piano music over his entire talk. Then at the end of his like four-minute ramble, the guy looks across at him and says, so I think that's like a 70% yes. So I'm just going to count that as a yes for us, that we led Elon Musk to Christ. But it's just the satire of this idea that like what he needs to do is just make a decision or say yes. Jesus is not commanding us to do that. To use an analogy, we're not trying to get people to cross a finish line. What we're trying to do is to invite them to say no to a way of life, no to the rat race, and to start a new marathon with Jesus to become a new human, to take on a new life, to be disciples. And in order to do that, we need to be disciples as well because you can only invite someone to what you're, you're doing. And so there's two qualifiers for this statement that are really important for us as we go to learn how to be disciples and what we're calling people to. So here's what Jesus says. The first is to teach them to observe all that I have commanded you, that the life of discipleship is a life of learning. So of course there's going to be doubt and fear along the way. It's not like we get it all right from step one. We're learners following on the path with Rabbi Jesus and with one another. And that's what we invite people to as well. Come. Come and see. Come and follow. Come and learn. And the second, Jesus says, is baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Again, it's not just a life of believing or saying yes. It's a life of practice that affects our everyday life. And baptism is one of these initiatory practices into the family of God. It's not a magic thing, but it in, invites us into this big story that we've been looking at, where people in baptism go under the water and come out. And it starts with Genesis 1, this story that God is taking the chaos waters and he's making something beautiful and shalom out of them. Then in the Exodus, uh, God takes his people out from slavery in Egypt and brings them into, through the wilderness, into the promised land. That Jesus was baptized and comes out of the water and hears these words spoken over him, that you are my son in whom I am well pleased. And then Jesus goes into the tomb and dies and comes out and is the risen Savior. And when we're baptized, we're taking on that whole story and so many more pieces that we're taking on this U-shaped life that I have died and now I'm a new person risen with Christ. That we're people who not only believe, but we practice. And that in invites us into a family of people who are doing the same. Disciples who are learning to follow Jesus, learning to practice his way in the world and learning how to love God and love one another. That's what God invites us to do, is to invite people to be disciples. So we need to know that Jesus has all the authority, 
And the invitation is for us to go and make disciples, to be disciples and make disciples. And finally, we're invited to remember Jesus' great promise to us. He says, and remember, I am with you to the end of the age. Again, as Western people, I think we hear this commission in a very individualistic way. Something like Tom Cruise, you know, in Mission Impossible, if you guys have ever watched those movies. There's, in the last two weeks, there's been a lot of references to early 2000s movies. I, I might have to see my therapist here and wonder what's going on. But if you've ever seen those movies, Tom Cruise, at the very beginning, he gets this message, and it's like, this is your mission, should you choose to accept. And usually he's ripped on a rock face or whatever, and then the thing will explode, so he's got to throw it away. And I think that that's sometimes how we hear these words of Jesus. Like, I'm about to go on this hero's journey. I'm making a decision to be this lone ranger and go do this stuff. But our study of the Gospel of Matthew, we've seen how the author, again, he's always trying to involve us in a much bigger story. He's saying, take your life and put it in this big story, the story of Jesus, but the story of God's people too. And this passage is the same thing. The seeds for this invitation are right there in Genesis 1. That God comes into a world that's uninhabitable and he says, I'm here to make things right, to make a place of flourishing and shalom. And so I'm coming into this place and I choose a people. I make a people for myself. And then I come to dwell with them. I rest with them. And then I invite them to work with me. He says, go, be fruitful and multiply. Take this vision of what it means to be human. Create more images of me so that my glory is reflected throughout the world. And the invitation to Israel is exactly the same thing. God says once again, yes, people have failed, but I'm committed to making things right. So I choose a group of people. I choose a group of people who have, have their issues. If you want to, maybe that's a better name for the, the Old Testament. People have their issues. These people have issues. But God chooses them. And then he says, I'm going to come dwell in your midst. And I will, because I'm here with you, I bless you in order to be a blessing to the world. But people fail again and again. The venom of this snake is just in much too deep. There's poison in everything that we do. And so God comes himself in Jesus. That's the story. God allows himself to become the sent one. And he comes here and he says, I'm committed to putting things right. That's how committed I am to putting things right and to humans. So I come and I dwell amongst you. I become a person. And John says, we saw his glory. And he, and he walked among us. And then he dies. And he rises again, and here we see Jesus at the end of his life doing exactly the same thing. He gathers people to himself, and he says, I am amongst you. I am with you. Now go and be a blessing to the world. Just as my presence blesses you and will never leave you, now go and take that good news to the rest of the world. And by extension, he's inviting each one of us to go through this story, to carry on the story of God. He says, come into my story through this pattern of dying and rising. See the things that you thought were life, the things that you thought were going to help you, the handrails that you're holding to get you up to the vision of good life. See those things just as good things and not ultimate things. As we saw last week, what was life is death. One way of thinking about this is, what are you a natural evangelist for? Each one of us is a natural evangelist for something. What are those things that you're just so excited about that get you out of the bed in the morning or the things that really bother you, that keep you up at night? And Jesus says, those things are probably good in your life, but they're not ultimate. So instead, receive this, this other way of living, of dying and rising with me. And join me in my kingdom work. And that's who we want to be as a church. A group of people who have faith and doubt. We're a mix. Fear and joy, but we receive the story of God. And we go to those around us as disciples, people who are learning and people who are practicing the way of Jesus. And we invite other people to join us. 
As John the Baptist says in the Gospel of Matthew, he says, repent. And that just means to turn. To stop putting your arrow up and to the right and to turn the other way. Lose your life so that you might find it because the kingdom of God is here. Another way of being human is possible through Jesus. And so we remember that God is with us, blessing us, sending us, and energizing us for his work. Let's pray to close. God, we thank you for this invitation. And um, I just uh, both confess and acknowledge that there is fears and doubts in my life that keep me from engaging in this calling that you have, this beautiful, amazing calling to join in your story and join in your work and join in the pattern of dying and rising with you. So I pray that uh, you would help me and all of us not to get on beyond our fears like there's something that we just uh, ever get over, but to be honest about them, to be honest about them with you and to be honest about them with one another and see that you, the gracious God of the universe, aren't looking for perfect humans, but you're looking for people who just say yes who are honest to who we are and the difficulties that we face, but at the same time that we might take on the language of, I think, of the woman in the Gospel of John who just says, come and see. Could this be? Could he be the one that has told me everything that I've ever done? And so I pray that that would be our heart. And as we've been studying in the Gospel of Matthew, this amazing, beautiful story that you've come to fulfill, would you give us language, give us the ability, and and give us the desire to make you known in this world? So as we worship together, as we respond, may we uh, continue to um, listen to your Holy Spirit and how you're inviting us into this U-shaped life of dying and rising with you. May we see you as the risen King, the died but risen King. And may we join you in your path of life. We pray this together in the name of Christ. Amen.